taking control of security and privacy on your iPad, iPhone, and Mac with Glenn Fleischman. This is Mac Voices. This edition of Mac Voices is supported by the Mac Voices Dispatch, our weekly newsletter to keep you up on all the latest from Mac Voices. Watch or listen to Mac Voices straight from your email client. Sign up at macvoices.com newsletter and stay up to date. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, this is part two in a three-part conversation with Take Control author Glenn Fleischman, who has updated and written a whole lot of new Take Control books during the pandemic lockdown. This time around, we talk about uh, his newest book, Take Control of Securing Your Mac, as well as an update to his book about security and privacy on iPad OS and iOS itself. Let's go right back and get some wisdom from Glenn. So let's shift over to, um, I don't know how you, how you want to break this down. We have Take Control of iOS and iPadOS Privacy and Security, second edition, and also Take Control of Securing Your Mac. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, you know, as we record this, we're recording it just a little bit after the Apple announcements today of the new MacBook and MacBook Pros. Um, I think we have a Monterey release date of October 28th. Uh, yes, that's right. Memory serves. What? So coming and soon. We ha- yes, and so and we ha- and we have the iOS and iPad OS versions that are already out and are receiving minor updates, most of which seem to be based around security. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess what do we need to know at this stage of the game to keep keep us safe from both both the stalking we're talking about, but also just general hacking and potential security issues on on yeah. those devices. Well, I would say I'll start with the Mac because I think it's nice. We got a little breathing space this release. Uh, nothing significant changed on the Mac. There are iCloud changes, as you know. There's new features in iCloud Plus, all the paid tiers of iCloud service. So if you're a Mac user, there's a few things I put in the Mac security book that's out about um, how iCloud Plus interacts. Um, the Apple ID book, Take Control of Your Apple ID, the reason it's in the third edition is because of iCloud Plus and a bunch of new iCloud Plus, I'm sorry, because of the new features of iCloud Plus and uh, some changes to do with recovering your account. So that had more updates that are general to all users, not just to Mac or iOS or iPad OS. Um, but the Mac, I mean, you know, for those of you with long memories and technical interests, remember, <clears throat> excuse me, Apple released APFS, the Apple filing system. They pushed that out to Mojave. Uh, was it High Sierra? We got it for uh, SSDs. And I think Mojave was it? We got it for uh, fusion drives and hard drives. If there were any left that could run it, that had a hard drive. And then Catalina split, you know, it changed the organization. It split the volume structure. So your boot volume is really two separate volumes bound together. And then Big Sur created the immutable system volume, the signed sealed volume that's cryptographically locked, made into a snapshot at boot time, like, you know, everything possible to create this immutable system thing. Those were all big changes. And I remember each year when I'd update anything to do with that and the, uh, the Mac security book came out before Big Sur was released. So we did that in the spring and then did a big revision to encompass, excuse me, to encompass the changes of Big Sur that we knew were coming. And uh, this time with Monterey, it's like, uh, it's great. It's, it's just the same Mac system, you know. So if you are already familiar with Big Sur, then the number of changes are 
are uh, almost insignificant. So the book is updated. Um, you know, it's now, I forget, 1.2 or something, but the release is mostly, here's a few minor things that have changed in Monterey. Here's how iCloud Plus integrates now in some places and security issues. There's a few privacy changes. Um, Apple did some more changes. If you want to open... Um, so Chuck, I always like to ask you questions about this because we're we're kind of in the same groove. And so I'm always curious what you encounter. When was the last time you had to open an unsigned uh, Mac OS app and go through the whole kind of dance to do that? I don't even I mean, remember. Do you even remember? See, I that's even I, remember. The other day, I had to do it for something and I forget what it was. It was an older utility, I think. Um, I had to dig around though. But so, you know, Neil, if, if, if people watching, I know you, if you've got not even long memories, we would often get apps that were somebody didn't want to join the developer program or that was an advantage or whatever. And you'd have to go through this thing. You'd just right click the app and do open or you double click it and it would warn you. And then Apple restricted that further and further and further. And now you've got to find the app, right click it. Like there's a whole series of steps that you have to do now. And it's become a little more complicated even in Monterey. So you kind of have to tell Apple like, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, no, I really want to do it. Okay. And then it finally lets you launch this unsigned app, but I, I could only think they hardened that a little more because there must be enough unsigned apps out there that are causing people trouble that they had to add kind of a little twist and another step in the process. But I want to say that's the most significant thing I recall having to, to document. So you can kind of put the Mac thing out of mind. Like if you're a Mac user, if you already own the book, <clears throat> I want to get, you know, the updates, uh, uh, free. Uh, and if you uh, uh, are interested in the subject, it's up to date. Um, we'll be releasing any changes that happen with the production release of Monterey, but we don't expect any because I was testing it on a uh, very recent Golden Master, a release candidate. Um, so it's really iOS and iPad OS, I think, where we saw significant changes. Um, and even there, I would say, I'm going to pull up my, uh, my cheat sheet here because even there, it's a lot of little stuff. So in previous versions, I felt like especially from a privacy and security standpoint, I would be spending you know, this huge amount of time just like picking out every little thing and there'd be huge feature changes. And, you know, in one edition of this book uh, after uh, the COVID-19 exposure notifications feature came out, we added a chapter on that because there are privacy implications and access and so forth. And then later took it out because it doesn't appear to have been used that much. And the the issues around it were pretty minor. So it's kind of like people turned it on or off, but it didn't feel like the same sort of, necessity. So instead of having, you know, a chunk about that feature, we took it out, but instead, you know, I've added a whole section on the child safety, what are they calling them? The uh, child protective protection issues or enhanced child protection initiatives uh, that Apple's calling that are not released yet that Apple put a pause on. Um, but I've got a chapter in the book that goes through all the things that Apple discussed that they were going to announce and we don't know in what form they'll be out yet, but just to start the conversation and get people thinking about privacy issues. Um, but I think the biggest ones really, I, you know, there's the iCloud, um, iCloud plus, uh, changes are big. Um, there's some interesting things around how, uh, tracking works now. Some of those are also in Mac OS, of course. Uh, but, um, you know, there's hide my email, there's uh, iCloud private relay, there's um, IP address disguising, essentially, which is a feature you can use um, <clears throat> without enabling either of those features. So some things you need iCloud Plus for and others, especially in the mail app, you can just enable them and it's not, uh, it's not a paid feature. It's just something that's built in now. Um, 
So, oh, mail privacy protection. That's the specific feature name. This way I have my cheat sheet because there's so much new terminology <laughs> that's been introduced. I'm like, what is that thing? So I, I think this is one of the most significant changes. Um, and it's so minor, but it's great. And it will be, it is a Mac OS Monterey as well, is if you enable this feature in mail, it does two things. One is uh, it lets you download images safely now. So before this, uh, if you had load images set or load media, whatever the option is in mail, it would either, you could have it turned on or off. If it was off, it loaded nothing if, except images that were actually embedded in the message you got. If it was on, it loaded everything. And that's not helpful, right? And I've been using a Postbox for a while now. And Postbox has this great little granular thing. You can say allow from this domain. You can say allow all images to be loaded in an email address that comes from this address. So if I have a trusted person, Chuck, I know I don't, Chuck, you're never going to send me a malicious tracking image. So I can mark you as an approved sender when I get a message from you. And then in the future, it'll automatically load images from you. So I like that post box feature, but Apple took a very different uh, uh, tack on this. And they said, we want to not allow an email sender, whether it's an individual or a company, to be able to know much about the person's actions or anything else. So it does two things. One is uh, if you turn on the anti-tracking feature, it prevents uh, email messages from kind of sending back information about your IP address. So Apple effectively proxies the opening. Of, uh, so an email message might reference images and JavaScript and all, you know, all kinds of third-party things that get downloaded from a server if load media is enabled. So what Apple does is Apple loads it through a proxy so it can't be tracked. So no one knows where you exactly are. And Apple has these granularity controls. So it can be, you know, you can let them know my general area or you can let them know something more specific, uh, you know, like country or region, right? Things like that. But it doesn't let them know your IP address, which is great. And then the other is... Uh, You've probably seen these, these one pixel tracker GIFs that were started years ago so that somebody sending you mail, they'd have a, you know, a, uh, I mean, MailChimp and all these companies use it now, but it would be like a, a dashboard. And I could tell, oh, Chuck opened that email message. He's opened it three times. In fact, I can see every time that image loads. So I know your behavior. So Apple now, if you have the feature enabled, loads all the images uh, through the proxy all at once. So no one can be sure when or if you read it. Uh, so that uh, that hides, I guess, two kinds of things, right? Behavior and location. And I think those are significant. I think Apple put a lot of effort uh, into Safari and Safari is you know, very resistant now to all kinds of ad tracking and uh, location tracking and behavior tracking. Uh, and iCloud Private Relay adds even more to that if you're an iCloud Plus subscriber. But the mail privacy protection is a big low-level thing that doesn't affect your ability to read email, to see messages or uh, images or whatever inline an email, uh, but it preserves your privacy and your sort of uh, in like two different ways that I think are great. So anyway, I think it's funny. I think that's one of the most... The, biggest features that's been added and yet at some level it's kind of trivial too and it's i i i get frustrated i guess with and i don't know how to solve it so you know i'm not I've, mm -hmm. i'm not saying there's anything wrong but these are both i mean these are all really good privacy features and and they're sort of the average privacy feature they're, they're not the kind that if if i'm a dissident or if i'm you know a, a journalist right. covering controversial things this is the the every, the way every man gets and every woman and every person gets taken advantage of. 
And yet it's, exactly. they're hard to they're kind of hard to explain and hard to understand. And and Apple's tried to say, you know, look, we're making you as secure as we possibly can. But if you don't get into a little bit of the geekery, then you don't yeah. understand how they're doing it or why it's so different so good and why it's so yeah. different from your other options out there. Well, I think this pass on the operating systems, Apple, the, between some of the features that are free and built into the different operating systems, uh, and sorry. Oh, <laughs> I thought my alarm, I thought our house alarm had gone up. It's just a <laughs> truck backing up someplace. Excuse uh, me. Uh, but this is one of the things that I, I think their, their focus has been on quiet privacy violations. So Safari has been revised so much it blocks against a lot of sort of casual ad tracking and um, sort of the kinds of privacy invasions that were happening on mass. And I think Apple is moving into more discrete things. So it's like, should anyone be able to know when you read a message, where you are, when you read a message, where you are at any time? Like, no. So iCloud privacy Rel or private relay is similar to that in that it, um, it, disassociates your like location and behavior from you it uses two stages. I had to put the illustration Apple provided into the book because it's a, uh, it's a little complicated, but it's, they, they, uh, uh, use two levels of proxies. So you're not requesting a page directly and Apple doesn't know. Apple can't tell exactly. They know where you are, but they don't know what you're requesting. And another server knows what you're requesting, but not where you are. <clears throat> so it, uh, when the request is made, I think I've explained that right. When the request is made, so I load, a, I go to, uh, you know, Mac Voices. It's a macvoices.net, right? Macvoices.com. Okay, let's make sure. Dot com. I go to macvoices.com and I don't want Chuck to know where I am. I don't want him to collect aggregated anonymous statistics about me even. So when I go there, um, these two layers of proxies make it sure that that Chuck's site doesn't, you don't track me. You don't know my IP address. You know the general Apple uses a relaying technology. So you know I'm coming from the United States or you might know I'm coming from you know the San Francisco Bay Area or the Seattle area. And then you only know the request I've made and the intermediate servers don't have enough information to put me together either. So I can request your homepage. You know, almost nothing about me and nobody in between knows enough about me either. And I think that's another casual way to kind of turn the temperature down on disclosure of our disclosure of information without uh, permission. Um, and then there's another feature in iCloud plus also, which is hide my email, which lets you generate an, an anon uh, anonymous or maybe you know, anonymized, I would say it may not be fully anonymous because it can be associated with things, but you can create an address on demand that Apple relates for you. So you can say, I want to register it. You know, there's already sign in with Apple, which is sites have to, and apps have to opt into the, uh, sign in with Apple system. So this is like signing with Apple, but you don't, a site doesn't have to have, um, built that as a login option. So I can use hide my email. I can literally just, oh, I want to create a new account at Kayak. Say, I go to hide my email. I generate an email address. Apple gives me this one and it it relays it to my iCloud email. I can copy that anonymous address into Kayak. And they, again, know very little about me. They don't know you know, anything about me from the email address. So they can't associate me with other accounts. If they start sending me email and I can't unsubscribe or I don't want to be involved with them anymore, I can flip a switch and stop receiving email, or I can delete that address forever and no email sent to it will ever be delivered in the future. And again, just a little, these little turns that let you, you know, make sure you're only revealing as much as you want to reveal. I, I don't know. It's, I, I 
I mean, unfortunately, I think you do have to dig into something like Glenn's book and and let and be have some of this stuff explained to you because Apple does not. You know, they're they're much more interested in you're trying to make everything as easy as they can. But I guess the good news is that under the hood, they're making a lot of this stuff very powerful yeah. and very sophisticated. And you know, that's we all know that you know you can't have it both ways. Um, so you either yes. have to not understand it and trust, or you have to take a little time and dig and come to understand. So, yeah, I mean, when, it's the uh, ideal thing where at some point, if I didn't have to write books, I mean, I feel sad not writing books, but if I didn't have to write them because everything was perfectly explicable, that would be better for people. Like I'd rather, but you know, in some cases it's Apple, it's this, the feature is easy to understand. You're like, I turn this on, people can't track me. The, my books are often for people who want to know either how to modify the behavior a little more, or they really want to understand how it works. And there are some books I've written that have a lot of exposition uh, because they explain the underpinnings so you can make a more informed choice about what you're doing too. Well said. Um, let's, let's get into the iOS uh, and iPadOS uh, discussion for just a second. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think this is interesting. I've had this conversation multiple times. I just had it. Uh, I guess it was last night uh, with a friend who wants to get specifically an aging parent who is not particularly sophisticated. Um, you know, a, a, an iOS device or iPad in this case, because they understand that they are about as secure as you can get out of the box. That right. it's a lot more difficult for um, someone who doesn't understand. You know, don't click this. Don't 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 click the link in that phishing email, you know, to get taken advantage of. Yeah. Do you think? And and and. <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> um, and that's that's one specific audience. You know, I I don't. I think I'm. I'm not immune, but I think I've got a pretty good eye for phishing emails and that kind of thing. But once in a while, something comes that I yeah. almost click on. So where where is the security and privacy of iOS and iPadOS stand? You think for some of those those audiences? Yeah, I think that is still an uh, an area that could be improved on because I, I think I mean if you're using, I don't feel like there's enough that warns people against that kind of attack. I think there's a lot to do. Um, I think Apple's done a great job on the sort of on privacy and security fronts in terms of. Like what information about me is leaking out? Like they have done, you know, successively more and more work to make sure we only reveal what we want to, and that people can't infer or grab information about us. And it just each release is better. And on the security standpoint, they keep working on trying to make sure that their systems, you know, you can't be hacked in, um, and that they increase uh, the options and simplicity of of login systems and support. So that's all great. But in terms of you know, and then I guess you'd say on the malware side, like iOS and iPadOS. There continue to be exploits uh, produced for them. We saw a bunch recently, some of them that were out in the wild, but they it, generally they tend to be very valuable and so only used by you know nation state actors. And that's what we just saw in uh, you know this year uh, several of those. Um, so you could say you know in the Mac it's even less of an issue. So you could say maybe they're doing a pretty good job on sort of anti malware protection. But I think social um, engineering the phishing and spam, I think still remain a scourge because so much of it is sent in private. Um, you know, Apple isn't scanning your email. Uh, I, I feel like I know, I've got, uh, I use fast mail for my mail host and I've got spam filtering turned on there and sort of tweaked a little bit. I'm using spam sieve on my Mac. 
long-running software. It's terrific. You should add it to any email program you have. I'm using Postbox has its own kind of, you know, AI-assisted machine learning junk prevention. That's three layers, and I'm still getting spam in my inbox. And I still have to evaluate some of the stuff that gets categorized into a junk folder because it's it's ham and it's false matches, despite having trained some of these filters for years and years. Uh, you know, a spam filter is, uh, it's been trained on, you know, it's uses Bayesian analysis and that has been beaten by mail pro or uh, spammers because it's been trained for, you know, a decade or more that I've been using spam civ, it was giant corpus. Um, so that to me, I mean, that is really the issue is how do you provide, uh, I mean, this actually gets us a little bit to the child protection issue is how do you provide, how can Apple provide services to us that protect us against doing things that are harmful to ourselves, or in the case of children, to children, or having children be exposed to things that don't invade our privacy or take away our rights to make certain kinds of decisions. So some of the child protection measures that Apple proposed, some of the criticisms were, these are really measures, these are really things that a parent should have full control over and Apple's inserting itself and others it was like, oh, Apple is giving parents control. But then it was, you know, at what age do children deserve the right to privacy? Uh, it varies by country against certain kinds of parental intrusion on their, on their personal lives. So you have all these balances being set, right? So you can see just even in an area which is easier to not have as many disputes about, right? Because there's a generally accepted notion that parents have rights over children. They have the, the, obligation to protect them and the right to prevent them from seeing certain kinds of information, certain kinds of details. And that gets us you know, into fights about public education and pornography and uh, science and all that, but also against, you know, children seeing things they aren't ready to see, which again, gets us into pornography and other issues. So I look at that and think, well, you know, that's a cut and dried situation at certain level. Like you can say a 13 year old parent should control what that kid sees and has access to. So then when you say, well, what could a 30 or 50 or 80 year old, how do you mediate that? I can see why it's a big can of worms. Um, but I do think there could be better signaling and better tools that are built in uh, that are go beyond the, oh, some malware just tried to be installed or don't click this. It's a bad link, but like an email message that, um, you know, in real time would say like, this is a scam and just put scam across it, right? This is a known scam. Click here for the FTC information that reveals why it is. You know, it seems like we should be at a point where that's feasible. It seems like that's something that Apple could do, but I wonder if, you know, I don't think there's any email product from any major company or any service from a major company that's not, you know, a antivirus company or that's the product they make. Um, that provides that. So I think you've pointing out a really, it's a, it's still a big lacuna. So it's harder for someone to accidentally do something wrong or um, have their accounts hijacked and so forth with the current state of Apple ID and Apple's operating systems, but it's still really easy for them to be scammed. I think that's, I think it's a missing piece. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's tough, but I do feel that I can recommend to anybody uh, say, you know, go, go to the iPad, Go to the iPhone, mm -hmm. and at the at the very least, the they're only going to be able to buy apps from the App Store, and the right. odds of them getting scammed or anything else on an App Store app are greatly. I, I know we've seen a couple exceptions out there, but you so know, rare though. You're right. Yeah, yeah. The the odds are, and as as to what they are going to be downloading, that that improves things right away. And since the and iPad and OS iPad OS and iOS are closed systems. 
yeah, it's not as likely if they click on something that they're going to be taken somewhere. They, they might be shown something they shouldn't, right? but it's going to be harder for them to actually give away or get, get taken in any other significant fashion. Glenn Fleischman is back in the next edition of Mac Voices to finish up our conversation about all of the books that he has written or updated during uh, lockdown. We touch on his book about cryptocurrency. We talk about some of his other activities outside being a take control author. And there's some really interesting, unusual things there and a whole lot more. So I hope you will join us. I'm Chuck Joyner. This is Mac Voices. Thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. Get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices magazine free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com Bandwidth provided by CashFly at CashFly.com.